Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to start where we will end today, and that's in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. What brings all of heaven to a moment of silence? Well, I think we get an idea of it when we see the last words of Christ on the cross when he cries out, it is finished. And the veil was torn and the earth shook. And I'm guessing that all of heaven was silent. We've already seen some pretty crazy things in this series that we're calling Already Finished But Not Yet Done as we look at Daniel and Revelation together. But it's going to get a whole lot more interesting. And by interesting, I mean in some ways a little scary. Or it can be. But guys, we need to remember that that the books of Revelation and Daniel are in God's Word on purpose to remind us that God is in control, that He is telling a grand story, and that if you're His, you're part of that story. Today's message is about seven seals and a moment of silence. Seven seals and a moment of silence. And one of the struggles when we teach through Revelation and I guess I'm going to use this as an excuse, is how far out do we pull from this sort of dot-to-dot? -dot? If you picture a, a child's dot-to-dot -dot book, how far out do we pull from that dot-to-dot -dot so, so that we can still get the whole image of what the picture is but not lose too many of the details between the dots? And how far in do we press into that book before the dots become like the thing in of themselves and we lose the image? And what I mean by that is some of the stuff that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, we're going to fly by. And that'll frustrate some of you. You're going to read about it in your daily readings. I can give you, if you have some questions, come to the, the um, session I'm going to teach at 12 o'clock today about how to press into the Word. And I'll give you some great insight on some just some simple commentaries that will help you on your own sit and discern what God is sharing in those passages. But the point that we're going to do on Sundays is to look more at the bigger picture and see how do we fit in to the plan God is telling. Not look at every single detail. Because as I've said here, almost every Sunday, the, the, you, can, you can chase every detail to its end and get to the end of that detail. What does this mean? And what is this a picture of? And what is that? And who is the Antichrist? And whatever those things are. And you'll get to the end of that and you still won't really know. And in the process of chasing down that detail, you will have missed the beauty that is Jesus Christ. In fact, most people I know who are detail chasers, it's because they're hiding from a relationship with Christ. They may be saved. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying rather than actually hear the Holy Spirit speak something of conviction or encouragement to their heart, they are hiding behind, if I could just learn a little bit more, then I would go do. In fact, some of you have heard me say this, because some of you were, were very into this camp when you first came to Cornerstone, meaning I'm going to chase down every detail. And when I started asking you, okay, that's wonderful, but how's your marriage? You stopped coming to me. But here's what's cool. Those of you that have hung in there, many of those people have left. 
your marriages are a whole lot better. Not because of anything I did, but because you started focusing on what really matters. So, chapters 6 through 18, which we're going to look at over the next few weeks, um, has some pretty interesting stuff in it. Some of which can seem a little bit scary. Because I want to remind you of, of another thing before we launch into that. Because this world and the enemy feed on tribulation. Just watch the news. Just watch the news. Guys, things in the world are, are getting worse, but they've always been bad. The difference is, not only do we have the ability to see all the bad things all at once now through cable television and satellites and everything else, but bad news sells. So the stuff that you're watching, I, don't, I honestly do not remember the last time a news program was on in our house. Honestly. Now, do I know what's going on in the world, big picture? Like, well, who's president of the United States? Yeah, generally. I'm not saying I'm uninformed. I'm saying we don't, guys, we don't feed on the bad news. We feed our souls by focusing on the good news of Jesus Christ. So turn off your television, turn off Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, and go love your neighbor. And watch what God does to your heart. That wasn't in my notes. That was for free. But what, here's, here's the cool part. We're actually looking at the news right as we open up the Word today. Because we are looking at the politics and the power of what's going on in our world right now, but through the real spiritual eyes. CNN and Fox News and all those other shows, they're even, even if they're telling their version of the truth or some version of the truth, which they're generally not, right? They're only telling it from the physical aspect. We are spiritual beings. And so we want to see the news from a spiritual lens. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's what books like Revelation and Daniel do, is they let us see the world through God's eyes. They let us see his plan of redemption from the spiritual aspect, not just the physical. By way of review, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Now, guys, if you were not here last week because it was a holiday and there were many people gone, I, I don't generally say this because it sounds self-aggrandizing, and I don't mean it this way, but if you were not here last week for whatever reason, I am pleading with you, listen to, download, or watch last, week's, last Sunday's message. Because, and, and even if you were here, I would encourage you to maybe watch it again between now and next week because we need to hang on to this glimpse as we move forward in the next few weeks. So I'm going to pick it up. I'm just going to start in chapter 5, verse 6. It says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, that was Jesus, is Jesus, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out for all, from all the earth. And he came and took the book, which was the title deed of all the earth, out of the right hand of his father, and he, who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And it grieves my heart to just fly through all of that because it's so powerful. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. Now this is why it matters for today. And break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest of our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That's where we left you. There was a scroll that is the title deed to all the earth, and there are seven seals on it. 
And on one side of that scroll, there was here is who is worthy to break the first seal. And then from that seal to the next seal in the scroll, it said here's what's going to happen in the world. And the one who is worthy to break those seals is Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at today is what happens when he starts breaking those seals. Today's question is, because guys, in a world that is getting harder and harder to be Christian, we, it, 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 it does lead us to a question, is it worth it? Is, I don't mean, I mean, obviously we, we talk about the sweet by and by and I know I'm saved and so, but am, but am I really going to be bold enough to be a little Addie Siddler and talk about Jesus in my classroom, knowing that I might get made fun of or ridiculed? Right? So the question is, what is the reward for perseverance in Christ? In a world that, that is getting harder and harder to see that in, what is the reward for perseverance in Christ. Now we're going to treat chapter 6, back to my disclaimer earlier, as a 30,000 foot flyby. I'm just going to summarize each of these sections. Now if you're doing what you ought to be doing and you're doing your daily readings, you read this yesterday. So this shouldn't all be new to you. Right, if you don't know what those are, they're on the back of your connecting points, which is in your bulletin. You can, either, you can also get them emailed to you by signing up for it on our website. You can even go to our Facebook page or our Twitter account, and they'll come right there in, in your feed every morning, the daily reading. So last, yesterday's daily reading was Revelation chapter 6. So that gives me a little bit of license, because you have the same Holy Spirit I do, to fly by some of this stuff much faster than some of you would like. What I want to point out before we jump into chapter 6 is that it is, well, let's just look at verse 6, look at verse 1. It says, Then I saw the Lamb, Jesus, break the first one of the seven seals. So he breaks the first seal. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, Come. Now get this. Here's why it's important to stop there for a second. That's about, I'm not going to stop a lot in this chapter. Who breaks the seal? Who tells What's about to unfold, these things that are coming are not good things. Just if you don't know, if you haven't read ahead, if you didn't read today's reading like you should have before you got here today, right, then you know these things are not good things. But who tells them to come? One of these four living creatures that is, that is a massive angel of God. So who's in charge of what we're about to see? God is. His son, Jesus Christ, breaks the seal that allows it to happen, and the angel says, okay, come on, it's time. We don't want to lose sight of that because what we keep reading is in the first seal that is broken, we see the enemy's deception. Because here's what happens. In comes this person riding on a white horse, different than the horse that Jesus is going to ride in on at the end of Revelation that we're going to see, and he has a bow with him with no arrows. Here's what that indicates. He is disguising himself as a man of peace. He is a counterfeit Christ. What's the, uh, what's the common name for a counterfeit Christ? The Antichrist. This is the Antichrist appearing on the scene at this point in history, and he is showing up as a deceiver, saying, hey, I'm a man of peace. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, before he's arrested, tells, the tells his disciples in Matthew 24, there are going to be people who are going to come in my name saying that, I, that they bring peace. Do not be deceived. This is one of those glimpses of that. Those chapter, that's verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 and 4, we see the second seal is broken, and in comes this person riding on a red horse. 
And this is the enemy's conflict. About halfway through what we call the Great Tribulation, and we'll get there as we move forward in Revelation, as we, as we move about halfway through that time, the Antichrist turns and reveals who he really is. And he turns on God's people. And that white horse that is this false peace becomes a red horse, which is the horse of war. And he begins to persecute God's people. And again, this should not surprise people because on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, in those days there will be wars and rumors of wars. A nation will rise up against nation. This is what we see unfolding in Revelation as we move through it. In the third seal, we see this third seal in, in verses 5 and 6. And it's this black horse. And all of a sudden, the world's economy is thrown into great turmoil. Well, go figure. All these wars are happening and there's all kinds of turmoil going on in the world's economy and people are starving because they can't afford any food because unless you are willing to submit to the beast, and again, we'll get there as we move forward in Revelation, you, you won't be able to buy anything or sell anything. And what you can buy and sell will cost you a fortune. Guys, the enemy currently in ways I'm not going to get into because some of you will just get derailed and go turn on Fox News when you come home, is in the process right now of trying to take over all of the world's economy. That's what's going on. So that when this time comes, it's just it's an easy thing. He doesn't have to get a whole bunch of people to go along with him because he will have already had his finger on most of what the finances in our, in our world global system. I do find interesting in this one section, like this is where maybe prep, like this is where preppers, you know, the extreme prepper people, yeah, we, we have some, I mean, it's, it's wise to have like some dry goods and a little bit of drinking water in your house because we live in Phoenix, Arizona and what if the electricity goes out for a week? Right? I mean, I'm not saying don't, don't be, but people, I'm talking about the, the, the ones that are building bunkers and storing up years of food. I'm like, and they're Christians supposedly and I'm going, for what? What are you trying to write out? I'm like, if this is really going to get this bad, bring me home or bring home here, Lord Jesus. I do not want to be found hunkered down in a hole in the ground when Christ comes back. Again, that was not in my notes, and that's free too. <laughs> in verses 7 and 8, we see this, the fourth seal. And the fourth seal is this ashen horse. It's actually this pale yellow-green, like the, like the look of death is what the Greek word means there for a pale horse or an ashen horse. It's the look of death, and along with it comes a lot of death, plagues, etc. In verses 9 through 11, we see this picture of it says in verse 9, the souls that had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. And these are those who suffer for Jesus, especially through this great tribulation. And look at what happens in, at the end of verse 11. When he says, they will, rest, they will rest a little while longer and your fellow servants and brethren who will be killed even as they, even as they have been would all be completed. So, so God is going to bring about a special blessing. And again, well, I keep saying this, I know, because just, there's just a lot here in Revelation. 
uh, a special blessing for those who persevere, especially in the hardest times. But guys, this is something that's been happening to God's people from the beginning. We don't have to sit here and go, oh no, let's worry. I mean, guys, in, in the book of Acts, how many times were Peter and the apostles imprisoned and beaten? In fact, in Acts chapter 5, there's this picture where all of the apostles are, are under arrest for preaching the name of Christ. They're told to stop preaching. They look at the Pharisees and they say, you know what, whether it's right in the sight of man or not to, obey, to listen to you or obey God, we're not going to stop speaking about that which we've seen and heard. The Pharisees huddle up and like, what are we going to do about this? I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. You can read about it yourself in Acts chapter 5. They come back and they're like, I know, here's what we'll do. We'll flog them and we'll release them. Well, flogging was not a pleasant experience, to say the least, right? And guess what? The, here's the point, though. In the midst of this persecution, guess what the apostles do as they're leaving? They are praising God. In fact, they're rejoicing. You know why? Because they saw themselves as worthy of suffering like Christ suffered. Peter later on, in, that's part of why in, in, his, in, his, in 1 Peter, he writes about, you know, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What does Paul say over and over? Right? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I mean, this, this idea that somehow persecution is only going to come on Christians during the tribulation is simply not true. It's always been. We just have sold in America this idea of put on Jesus Christ and your life will be good. Because that's what brings people into church. But the truth is, put on Jesus Christ and get ready. Now, what we're going to see in verses 12 through 17 are more the classic scenes of the tribulation. And here's what I mean by that. So if you look at verse 12, as the sixth seal is broken. So now we've broken, we've gone through seals. Out of these seven seals, we're going through one through five. Now the sixth seal is broken. It says, and this, when the sixth seal was broken, a great earthquake, the sun became black and as sackcloth and hair, and a whole moon became like blood, and the stars fell from the sky. Now jump down in the interest of time to, to, verse, to the end of the chapter in verse 17. For the great day of wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So guys, I know I flew through this. Again, you could have read it yesterday. You could read it today. Just don't read it right now. Here's the question. Why? What on earth is God doing? Why would he do this? The answer is he's trying to get the attention of his people. Do you remember when we started, probably maybe you don't, but back in June when we started this series, I started in Revelation 18. And because because this, this verse in Revelation 18 verse 4 struck me to my core. Because it's God speaking at the very end, right, right before Jesus returns to set everything right. And, and God is saying, come out of her, my people. He's like, I have spent chapter 6 through chapter 18 waking you up. Now come out of her. Her is Babylon. Her is the world system. Her is the demonic influence. And God is like, I spent all of this time, all of this energy, all of this, to tr trying to rattle your cage to wake you up. He is shaking them out of their slumber. Guys, he shook me out of my slumber. How many people here would say that your faith, whether it was the first time you came to Christ, like unto salvation, or when you've been in a time of struggle in your, in your faith walk, your faith was reawakened through a trial or tribulation? Raise your hand if that was you. Guys, don't, no, no, keep them up. Look around. Guys, this is the walk. It just is. Praise the Lord. But that's what he's doing here. He's saying, 
Guys, verse 17, in that great day, who can stand? The answer to that question is apart from Christ, nobody. He's saying, if you don't know Jesus Christ, nobody will be able to withstand what is to come. He is trying to shake them and us up. The reality is, guys, for most of us, our faith got real when we were shaken. That's, that's when faith, right? Faith is not tested on the mountaintop. It's tested down in the, in the valley. When you're, at the, when you're at the bottom going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. I cry by day, but you do not answer. I cry by night, and I have no rest. Yet, you are holy. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 3, which again, you'll read this week. So he's giving now, in chapter 7, a moment of grace. He's going to hit the pause button on unloading all of this stuff on the world. Seal 1, seal 2, seal 3, seal 4, seal 5, seal 6. We haven't gotten to seal 7 yet. And he's going to pause for a minute. Why? Because we see that the reward for perseverance in Christ is one, for the first time in your life, you start to see tribulation as we just saw it, as an opportunity to see people wake up, as an opportunity for people to come to know Jesus Christ. That's all the hands that went up in the room. And then the next thing we see is that God then, the only way that happens once, once that hand goes up and like, yeah, I get it, I surrender, Lord, is when the Spirit seals us. God seals his people. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And we saw that we've seen those beings in chapter 4. We saw them in chapter 5. We see them now in chapter 7. And they're holding back. Basically, that's just saying, of all of creation, these beings have dominion by God's authority. And it says, look, and look at what he says. He says, so these four beings are holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind will blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. So they're holding back Satan and his dominion for, for just this little interlude. And I saw another angel ascending from the, from the rising of the sun, having, now get this, having the seal of the living God. Now this is not one of the seals on the scroll. This is a whole different seal. And I'll talk about that in a minute the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he had, was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. So get the picture. These four beings are holding back these four creatures that want to bring destruction to the earth, they're holding them back, and he's saying, because we're going to give a time for God's people to be sealed in Christ. We're going to give these people, a, and, he, and, he, and he does this again a little bit later in Revelation, but we're going to give these people this little moment, this interlude, to repent and believe in the gospel before that seventh seal comes. So what is the seal? Right, why does he do this? He does this so that he can have an opportunity to seal God's people. What is the seal? The seal is the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is where one of those details gets, like we look and we go, okay, but wait a minute. It says here on their forehead. So should I go get a tattoo 
like on my forehead that says something about whatever I think God's seal is. No, because if you're in Christ, you already have the tattoo. It's called the Holy Spirit. Guys, for, the, for those of you that were in the purity study, like I was, we had about 30 men through the two different groups on Mondays and Tuesday nights. Do you remember when they were talking about all that brain science? Where is the place of decision? Where is cognitive decision made? Right here in your forehead, your frontal lobe. Now guys, the decision to follow Christ is not merely cognitive. I can't just know about Christ, I have to know him. But it's not less than that. Guys, do you get that when, when, when Paul says, for example, in Ephesians, do not, Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Guys, he is, Paul, like around 60 AD, is flash forwarding to what John is writing around 90 AD that's flash forwarding to this time in the future. He, he says in Ephesians 1, he says, in him, after listening to the message of the gospel, you're given an interlude. Guys, today, right now, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He's giving... This is, this is, what we look, it's so easy for us to look at this and go, look at, and I remember being this way as an unregenerate believer, unbeliever, looking at like Revelation or a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament going, how can this wrathful God really be, be so loving? Guys, the, the, the fact that he's telling us it's coming is evidence of his love. Does he have to tell us he's going to do this? No. This right here in front of, but, but as an unregenerate believer, I, I did not see it that way. Only when, after hearing the gospel of your salvation, Paul says in Ephesians 1, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right? All of a sudden, you see this, and you go, thank you, Lord, for this moment of grace. Th guys, they, my guess is, John is writing this stuff down. He's told, remember in, in Revelation 1, he's like, write down what you see. It's like, it's like going after somebody, showing them the Grand Canyon, turning them around and going, now I want you to write it down in a description so that anybody that's never seen it or a picture of it knows exactly what it looks like. And he's like, yeah, good luck with that. So he's, he's given that command, write down what you see. And he sees all this stuff that's almost unexplainable. And then, and you can imagine at this point, he's writing and he's seeing all this stuff and he's like, man, who can stand? And God's like, you know what? I'm gonna give you a moment. Because he needed it. John needed the moment. And guess what? So do we. Like, we need the moment. We need that moment to just go, okay, let me remind myself that God is still in control, that none of this is outside of his sovereign will. I may not know what all the details are, and it doesn't matter. My job, my role, after I have been sealed in the Spirit, is what Paul says in Romans 12. Right? Romans 12, 1, through, 1 and 2, when he says, that you are to, our job, once we're sealed, present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God because this is your spiritual service of worship. We are spiritual beings, not just physical. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, Satan's world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying, you're this, you've been sealed now, the question is, what about, wait a minute, if you're here and you're his, 
You're like, I, yeah, but I've been sealed. So what, why do I need to keep hearing this message? Here's the reason, because we leak. We leak the gospel. We just do. And I don't mean leak out like Addie did at school. That, that should be true too. I mean, we just leak and, and we dry up. And if we're not reminding ourselves and being reminded by him and his word and his spirit of his goodness and his grace and his power, it, this, this can seem really hopeless. This world can seem so hopeless. Your news channel preaches hopelessness. Even when it's telling you where you ought to put your hope in this candidate, in that health program, in this, guys, it's, it's hopelessness. Unless Sean Hannity, and I don't even know if he's still on Fox News or not, unless Sean Hannity's going, you know what, the only solution is to accept Jesus Christ before this happens, he's preaching hopelessness. Turn him off. What is the reward for perseverance in Christ? We get to see, as, as, re, as regenerate, born-again believers, we get to see that judgment turns people's hearts back to God. Guys, his, his commands turn people's hearts back to God if they don't harden them. His spirit seals his people and his people are saved by Christ. And that's what John sees next. And again, I'm going to frustrate some of you because I'm going to, I'm going to skip over verse, basically verses four, verse 4 through 8 where he talks about this 144,000. So the first sealing of God's people that you see here is God, he's holding back these angels to seal this 144,000. Who are the 144,000? Well, one, we'll see them again in Revelation 14, so we'll talk more about it then. But they are, it tells you who they are. They are 12,000 people from every tribe of, of Israel. This is God fulfilling his promise to the people of Israel. But all of Israel is not Israel. Paul says that in Romans. But guys, if, if we want to cling to Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. If we want to cling to Romans 8, 35, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, then we better grab a hold of the truth of Romans 9 through 11, which in some mystery, Paul talks about, there is God's promises are all steadfast and sure. And that includes his promises to Israel, meaning I have a people 144,000 of them that I am, and, and any Messianic Jews, guys, we've had people who were Jewish who are now believers in Christ. They're, they call themselves like completed Jews who have attended Cornerstone. Praise the Lord. Any of them are sealed with the same seal that any Gentile believer, that's the rest of us, would be sealed with. But guys, there are people out there like the Jehovah Witnesses, which the Kennedys have come out of, they show up at your door, they knock, and they say, well, we're, and you ask them, why are you doing this? Well, we want to be one of these 144,000. Ask them this question, what tribe of Israel are you from? Because if you're not from a tribe, it doesn't count. Because he names them. And then you go, okay, but wait a second. They, you know, they, they figured out ways around that too. So then you go to chapter 14. Well, guess what? Every one of these 144,000 in chapter 14 is male. And yet most of the Jehovah Witnesses I see are female. Every one of them is male, and every one of them is a virgin. How's that working out for you? I mean, you may not want to get that personal with the Jehovah Witness at your door, but just ask them. <laughs> so, hey, man, are you a, are you a male virgin? Because if you're not, you got no shot. You got no shot, according to the scriptures. Right? They probably will put you on the blacklist and not come back to your door, which, if nothing else, keeps you from being interrupted. 
Again, not in my notes. <laughs> but guys, get this. How are they saved? They're saved one way, the same way everybody else is. These Jewish people are saved the same way everybody else is. Not because they're Jewish, but because they've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Through the turmoil in the world, it says that his name, Christ's name, will be on them. That's the only way anybody's saved. Jewish people are not led into heaven any differently than anybody else is led into heaven. It's by coming to understand that Jesus is Messiah. That he is the one. That's how they were born again. And that leads us to the next part because the next promise that has fulfilled the sealing is in verse 9 when he says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from just the Jewish people? No, from every tribe and people and tongue. They're standing before the throne of the Lord, clothed in white robes and palm branches were, were on their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be our God forever and ever. Guys, all people together, still apparently different in heaven. We've seen this image over and over throughout Revelation. They're gathering together around the throne of God, worshiping together. There's not a separate place for the 144,000. There's not a separate place for Jewish people. We are all part of the body of Christ once you come to faith in Christ. That's the truth. Now, if you read all those promises in Romans 8 through 11... Poor Paul, he's writing, he's writing in Romans, and he gets to Romans 8, 33, through the, and he's like, oh, the depths of both the riches and wisdom of, knowledge, of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He's, it's his way of saying, I just wrote chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, and I do not get it. I do not get how God is going to work all this out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor and who has given back to God anything that wasn't first given to him by God? For from him and through him and to him be all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Chapter 12, our role. Because of that, present your body a living and holy sacrifice. Guys, the bottom line is the call of Christ in Acts 1 and you will, the power of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit will be upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. He doesn't leave behind God's people to Jerusalem, Judea, right? That's the southern part, right? Samaria, that's the northern part of what we think of as Israel, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's, that's, that's what this is showing us. He's like, you know what? God is the one who seals them. So last point, what is, what is the reward for perseverance? We as believers, we get to see that his judgments and commands turn people to Christ, that his spirit seals them in Christ, that people are saved only by Christ. That's it. There's no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. If that's a problem for you, take it up with him. And lastly, we see this, God, and this is where we're going to end, God's victory is complete through Christ. Guys, and this is what we got to cling to. This is what we talked about all last week. Again, watch it, listen to it, download it, read it last week. Because I'm telling you, this interlude in chapter 7 is because John needed it, and so do we. Because guess what happens in chapter 8? The seventh seal is broken, and it gets worse. It gets 
a lot worse from a human perspective. But from our perspective, it gets so much better because it's ushering in the kingdom of God. So look at verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders answered and said, I love, I love this. So, so picture John. He's getting this vision. He's up in heaven. I don't know. If, like spiritually, he's up in heaven. He's getting this vision of what's going on in heaven. And this elder, like I'm just going to say it was Paul. I don't know that it was. But let's just say it was Paul. Paul looks at him and says, so these, these guys that are clothed in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I love John's answer. It's a great answer. You should use this sometime. He's like, um, you know. You know why he answered that way? Because he had no idea. Right? He's like, I don't have a clue. You're one of the elders. I'm just John. And then he says, okay, I'll tell you. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now we'll talk more about the great tribulation as we move forward because I want to just point this one little thing out really quick here. And that is that this, this verse right here reminds us that Revelation is not written chronologically, like sequentially. In other words, chapter, it doesn't go chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. It goes like this. Because he is referencing people who are, he said, they have survived the great tribulation. And yet as we move forward, we're going to see that what we think of as the great tribulation hasn't even come yet. It's in the chapters we haven't gotten to yet. So how does he see them already? Because God doesn't care. He's not, God is not sequential. Jesus is not the Lord who first was and then is and then will be to come. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come all the same time. So another reason for us not to get too bogged down in the details because our, our sequential finite brains cannot possibly understand how God is working this plan out totally because it's outside of time and we are stuck in time. Verses 15 and 17, let's close it up with this. For this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. So this is way of saying his presence will be, he will tabernacle among them. Just like Jesus, that, that's just like, and the word became flesh right, in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, is what it says in the Greek. And he will tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, they will thirst no more, nor will the sun beat down on them, or nor any heat. For the lamb is at the center of the throne. The lamb who is at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Guys, what's the reward for perseverance in Christ? It's Christ-likeness. James 1, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its perfect result Guys, that, in the Greek, what that is, it actually means, and let your perseverance, let, let, let your fighting through these tribulations, these struggles in your lives, the trials in your relationships, whatever those things are in your, your, that you're struggling with right now, let them have their perfecting result is what it means. It doesn't mean that the result itself is perfect, then it will be. It means let the trial you're currently in do its work in your life. Let it, perf let it be perfecting you right now. 
in the moment you're in it. Don't just beg God to get you through it. Beg God to show you why you're in it. And the answer is Christ-likeness. If your marriage is on the rocks right now, it's because he's trying to make you look more like Jesus Christ. If your children are rebelling against you right now, it's because he's trying to make you and them look more like Jesus Christ. If your finances have hit rock bottom, it's because he's, trying, he's saying, do you trust me? Because that moment I step out in faith and I say, yes, I do. Guess what? I look more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did when he was like, yeah, Father, anything, anything but this, not the cross thing. You came up with a different plan while I was down here, right? But not my will, your will be done. He stepped out in faith and trust. That makes us look more and more like Christ. Because Jesus said, in this world, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. As the music team comes up and the lights come down, and we have a chance to just sort of respond to all this chaos, like all of this, like, ah! I want to go back to where I started. Revelation 8, 1. And it's where we'll pick it up next week, Lord willing. When the seventh seal was broken, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Guys, here's my question for you as we have this time of response and music and communion. How good are you at practicing silence? I know I don't give you guys a lot of opportunity in that when I'm preaching. I don't... I'm not quiet enough. But guys, we hide from silence. We run, we do. We run from being, we would rather be almost anywhere than alone with God. We, we say, oh no, that's not true. I, I would just love a man if these kids would just be quiet. If this whatever would just, guys, I'm just telling you, our own hearts run from that. It's why when we first get in our cars, we turn on the radio. It's, it, 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 we, we, because we're afraid, for, for some reason, we're afraid to just sit and be still and be fed. Because a few moments of silence will do more, to where you're just thinking about the things of God. It will do more to feed your soul than a 40-minute sermon. I'm, I'm going to say that again. A few minutes of silence before God will do more to feed your soul than a 40-minute sermon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth. I thank you for the truth that our reward for perseverance is Christ. It's his presence. being conformed into his image. It is recognizing like Elijah did when the earthquake came and the fire and he's in the cave and he's hiding. It says, you were not in the earthquake. You're not in the, you were not in the trial. You were not in the fire. But after those things, A sound, a 
like a still, small voice said to him, what are you doing here? Oh Lord Jesus, help us to hear your voice in that day. Your eyes will behold your teacher. The spiritual eyes of our hearts have been awakened by your spirit so that the physical eyes can see the beauty that is Christ in your word. Tune our ears to your voice. For your eyes will behold your teacher. And you will hear him say, this is the way. Walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.